Welcome to 103.5 FM Law, Life, and Culture in New Haven. Lead paint. It's not just a problem of the 70s along with red dye number two and flame retardant in children's pajamas. It is still a cause of health problems today here in New Haven. In 2015, Mayor Tony Harp wrote to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development requesting federal funding to eliminate lead paint from people's homes. The mayor wrote that New Haven had the highest number of reported cases of lead poisoning of children in Connecticut. We're in the studio with Paul Kowalski, the city of New Haven's Environmental Health Program Director. He'll talk about what the city's doing and what you can be doing to help reduce the threat of lead poisoning. Hello, Mr. Kowalski. Welcome to Law, Life, and Culture. Hi, Betsy. Thank you for having me here. Let's first quickly review the dangers of lead poisoning. For years, I have heard that lead poisoning contributed to the fall of the Roman Empire. I had read Claudius, Caligula, and Nero exhibited classic symptoms of lead poisoning. What happens with lead poisoning in adults? The Roman Empire had their aqueducts lined with lead. They also drank out of lead vessels. Putting alcohol in a leaded vessel just puts more lead within the drinking solution that's there. Lead is an element. It's a soft gray metal, and it's a toxin. It is something you do not want in the human body, or in that fact, any any, uh, organism at that fact. It impedes neural development. It has a host of ill effects anything from behavioral deficits to organ failure at the extreme. When I lived in New York in an old building, friends told me not to drink out of the hot water uh, because the lead pipes, the pipes often contain lead and that I should even let the cold water run a little bit before drinking it. Is that good advice you'd suggest for people living in old buildings in New Haven? I'm not too sure about the building you lived in in New York. New Haven's water supply is very good. The issue with drinking water out of a hot water pipe is the water sitting within a hot water tank. You don't really know how long, and it's sitting within that line. It doesn't get flushed out as much. You really should just drink cold water, and at the same time, every morning, flush it for at least a few minutes, just to ensure that you're you're freeing anything that's within the line. Lead was used as a solder for a long time. It's been banned for a long time as well. So in the older homes, you still might have solder pipes that didn't get fully encrusted. So therefore, it's not a leaching water. I'm sorry, lead into the water. Over the years, we have tested easily over 2,000 water supplies. And the water company tests on a weekly basis. Our water supply is fine. Okay. Well, short of the more extreme complications of lead poisoning of the early Roman emperors, what are some of the initial symptoms that adults can experience? Depending upon the level that the blood lead level that the adult has, it could be numbness of the fingers, tingling, headaches, uh, difficulties with just normal processes. At higher levels, you could have some serious deficits arising. I've also read lead poisoning is far more dangerous with children, especially before the age of six, because their brains and bodies are rapidly developing, and the damage from lead poisoning is irreversible. What are some symptoms of lead poisoning in children? You see, that's the, that is the dangerous part about lead poisoning. Within a child, it's an insidious disease. Every parent should have their children tested. Within the state of Connecticut, it's a mandate. 
children have to be tested twice between the ages of one and I think it's 36 months. Every parent caregiver should bring their children in to get tested at their, from the health provider because you really don't know what a child's blood blood level is until the child gets tested. There's no uh, overt signs unless the child is really heavily intoxicated. What are some of the dangers or symptoms or damage that you uh, can experience with children or that children can experience? You brought up the fact that a child, because of its rapid development, if it ingests, he or she ingests lead, they are irreversible. There are neurological deficits. It could lead up to organ failure as well. But predominantly, it robs a child's future. The IQs drop, and psychological disorders can arise. Now, I understand the damage to children can occur even before they show any symptoms, so it's best to prevent the exposure to lead in the first place, correct? Correct. What are some of the best ways to minimize the threat of lead poisoning in children? Keep all children away from chipping and flaking paint. Clean the house routinely to eliminate any lead dust if dust is available. Call the health department to have the houses checked for the presence of lead-based paint. Wash the child's hands regularly and thoroughly. Nutritious foods um, to compete with any kind of lead that may be within the child's system. Yes, one of my friends pointed that out to me, wondering what nutritious foods had to do with lead poisoning. Can you explain the benefits of nutritious food when there is a threat of lead poisoning? Nutrients can help eliminate the lead if there is some lead within the child itself or himself or herself. Beyond that, it's just pica is the main cause of lead intoxication. It's the putting of non-food objects within one's mouth. When a child's experiencing teething, they have routine pica. What is pica? Uh, again, it's the ingestion of non-food articles. Okay, does that um, stand for something? Is that an acronym? Oh, I don't think it's an acronym. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know for sure, but I don't think it's an acronym. You know, we met uh, because last weekend the city hosted its annual lead education picnic where you provided these same messages to children and their parents at an all-day family event at the beach. What does the city do, or rather, why does the city do this event for lead poisoning in particular, as there are a lot of other nasty health threats out there, for example, smoking, gun violence, bullying? I operate the Bureau of Environmental Health for the city of New Haven. One of the most important activities that I've done for the past 36 years, in addition to restaurant inspections, is the, I hope, elimination of lead poisoning within children. I don't get involved in any of the other activities. There are other uh, entities within the city that would do that. We've been pretty successful in reducing the number of blood lead elevations within the city. Unfortunately, New Haven still, at this time, has the highest number of elevated blood leads than any city within the state of Connecticut. Is that for children or children as well as adults? Children. Children. Now, you've told me um, since 30 years ago, as you said in this conversation, the rate of lead poisoning has dramatically dropped. But since the mayor's 
letter to HUD in 2015, has New Haven reduced the red the rate of lead poisoning in children, or is two years still too early to make any real inroads? Oh, it's never too early. We've been monitoring and tracking blood lead elevations for probably 40 years. I've only been with the health department for 36. From 474 children that were reported to us greater than 10 micrograms per deciliter in 2002, in 2016, we had 77. However, it's a little misleading because CDC has been changing what is considered as the level of concern for the past 40 years. At one time, the level of concern was 65 micrograms per deciliter. Okay, let me just um, add that you mean micrograms of lead found in deciliter of blood? Correct. Microgram is one millionth of a gram, and a deciliter is a tenth of a liter. It's a determination of how much lead is within child, adult, whoever's being tested. The city of New Haven is now at five micrograms per deciliter. That is what CDC concerns. In 2016, we had 291 children. So it's still an issue within the city of New Haven. CDC is now considering reducing it from five to, I think, three and a half. No amount of lead is good. The city's event in preventing lead poisoning also caught my eye because there is a lot of beautiful and old architecture in and around New Haven. If you live in an old building and perhaps you've just slapped a coat of paint year after year on the walls that probably have lead-based paint, um, how? but as long as there is no chipping, and I'm not eating any peeling paint off the walls, is there still a health hazard? Yes, it, it depends upon where the lead paint is found. It, within the state regulations, as well as the city ordinance that we enforce within the city of New Haven, you consider other sub, uh, surfaces, such as chewable and mouthable surfaces, if a child can gain access to it. But again, like I was saying earlier, the predominant route of intoxication is the ingestion of lead dust. And if it's the window wells and sills, or if it's chalking from the outside, it's sitting within the window well itself, and then it just blows inside and it gets onto the floor. Doors, impact surfaces, uh, door jams, door frames, those would create dust, but at the same time it can grind the lead-based paint into a powder or into a dust, which in turn becomes accessible to the child. But for adults, is this still a problem if all the lead paint seemingly is not um, chipping or has been covered? Is there a threat to adults in this manner? Not really. Most adult intoxications are occupational related. So what if one works in an older building and there is a painted brick wall and a big crack in the wall that seems to continue to get bigger and bigger? Is there a chance that this office worker needs to check out whether there is a record of the lead-based paint to avoid possible exposure to lead in dust in that situation? Not really. And why not? One, again, it's just that's not dust creating or dust producing. And the person isn't really living there. And I would hope that they don't have hand-to-mouth ingestion or pica at that age. If it's a daycare or uh, a school that has children below five years of age, yes, it could become a concern at that point. A crack in the wall, not so much. But the presence of lead-based paint in an area where it could be made accessible to a child, yes, that's a concern. 
When you inhale lead and dust, is it usually visible? For example, do you see a layer of paint dust on the floors or furniture, or is it a kind of lead exposure that can happen without our knowledge? It depends upon the amount of dust and the amount of lead that's within the dust. Is there any general guideline about that, though? As it relates to what you need to have the limits within a home that is occupied by a child, yes. Um, office workers, other areas such as that, no. Would the dust be visible or in general or not? Is it an invisible threat? Well, again, it depends upon the cleaning habits of the occupant. Being visible or not visible. Um, the only true determination is to take a sample of whatever's on the surfaces. Over the years, we've had dust samples, layers that didn't really look very uh, extensive with lead, which came back unbelievably high. Does the health department in New Haven also check office buildings and schools for the presence of lead? Schools, yes. And just about every school within the city of New Haven has been completely redone. Now, without a complaint, does the health department routinely check some public spaces, or do you need citizens to give your department a call in any situation where they feel there could be a threat of exposure to lead? We, within the state of Connecticut, there's a reporting system in place where providers, medical providers, contact the state health department as well as the municipal health departments to report any blood lead elevations. We will also go out to the residents uh, with the, just the city of New Haven, a residence of any child, if a caregiver calls us up and has a concern or a question regarding the health of their child and the condition of the apartment as it relates to lead paint. Well, wherever you are, for our listeners, we recommend you stay tuned to New Haven's best radio station for a healthy dose of news and information. We're here with the city's environmental health program director, Paul Kowalski on 103.5 FM Law, Life, and Culture, and I'm Betsy Kim. So I did attend the city's lead education picnic and felt even beyond lead education for an event hosted by the city's health department, it had other public health benefits. For example, the education picnic encouraged people to go outside, socialize, and connect with others. And I have read that's critical for mental health. Does the city host additional similar health events? I'm sure it does. I'm not really aware of the other activities. There's always activities going on within the city of New Haven on a weekly basis, especially during these months. Did you have those other health benefits in mind in addition to the lead education with the annual picnic that you've been hosting? <laughs> Without a doubt. This, is, this was our 17th annual lead education picnic at Lighthouse Park. The first uh, lead education picnic we had was at the New Haven Coliseum which is no longer there, unfortunately. Hopefully one day we will have a venue such as that. The, the Lighthouse is a perfect place for something like this. It's a draw, it's a beautiful facility, and we did like to get other people out there, which was cool. Thank you for joining us. Great, I had a good time. Well, in addition to passing out information about preventing lead poisoning, you also distributed a brochure for people to obtain a loan from the city that results from a U.S. housing and urban development grant. These loans can financially assist people, both landowners and landlords, rather, and homeowners who live in owner-occupied housing, and it helps them get rid of lead-based paint in their homes. Can you explain how these loans work? Certainly. 
The city of New Haven, since 1994, has been very fortunate to receive HUD lead hazard control grants. Thus far, we have abated 1,380 apartments, units. Some of these are private homes as well, utilizing close to $9 million that was put out on the street to property owners. The loan program is a 0% interest deferred forgivable loan. Over a five-year period, if the owner of the property markets this apartment or home, if he or she lives in there for that point, for five years, it is completely forgiven. The income guidelines that HUD promulgates is for the occupant. It could be for a homeowner or a tenant. For instance, the highest income level of a family of four is 80% of the area median income, which for the city of New Haven is $68,000. So therefore, any apartment, home that is occupied by a family with children making less than $68,000, whether it's homeowner-occupied or tenant-occupied, can be can access these funds. And we, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, we still have roughly a million dollars left. This program ends November of next year. I am hoping to apply again for another program sometime in the spring of next year. Now, does a child under the age of seven have to live in the residence to for someone to be eligible for such a loan? If it's a vacant unit... The owner has to agree to market the unit to a family. Income, income qualifications have to be there. But as it relates to the presence of a child, if it's a vacant one, no. Now, for people who aren't renting out property, and if they don't qualify um, for the HUD income criterion, mm-hmm. can they still benefit in any way from this loan? For example, could they also get some kind of a loan from this program, but perhaps pay at a lower interest rate than just say with a bank? Or could they obtain, for example, a deferred payment with a loan? I'm smiling because you said a lower than 0% interest oh. rate. No, from a bank. Uh, no, unfortunately, the, these grants are uh, put out on the street via Title Ten which was put out 25 years ago, and there were strict income guidelines. Um, again, for a family of four, less than 68000 as the occupant. If it's a vacant unit, it has to be marketed to a family of four with children, making less than sixty-eight. If you're above that income guideline, unfortunately, this program cannot be of benefit to you. So you have said that there's about a million dollars left um, can you repeat again how much money so far has been distributed in New Haven to abate lead paint stemming from this HUD grant? Certainly. We have five, six. We've been fortunate to have six rounds of funding thus far, allocating close to $9 million to lead abate 1,380, sorry, it's very small numbers, 80 units. Now, these remediation loans resulted from an application a while back, but at the time of the application, there was a different administration in the in federal office preceding the election of Donald Trump. How long will the city continue to offer these loans? Well, again, this current program is until November of 2018. I'm hoping that this program continues within the federal budget, and President Trump did actually allocate additional funds for this particular lead hazard control program with HUD, although the 
decreasing uh, a large amount of HUD's funding, specifically CDBG, that would negatively affect not only cities, but this program. And now with Ben Carson, the U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, uh, has a radically different agenda than uh, at the federal level in contrast to the prior administration. Are you concerned about the future of this lead paint removal abatement program, even with the explanation you provided with Donald Trump's support of it? I've been told that the current Secretary of HUD, being a physician, is very supportive of this program. So with the lead education picnic, as we noted earlier, it provided a public health service apart from lead hazard concerns, you know, in that it helped get people together with the community to enjoy one of the city's public beaches and um, a public resource to reap some health benefits. Do you have any other similar events planned or for next year's uh, event? Is it going to again be at the beach or are you not planning that? Well, I'm sure you have plans in mind for next year's venue. You have to reserve the space at Lighthouse Beach at least two years ahead of time. We plan on being there, God willing, next year. Um, I hope to see you there as well. It's a great event. This past Lighthouse event, we had over 900 people in and out of there, at least 400 children. I will send you great shots of beautiful kids. They were beautiful families that were there this past weekend. And I think the educational outreach that these types of programs afford work, as you can tell by the declining rates. So it's not just the abatements that are going on. And, and by the way, the average cost of an abatement, a lot of homeowners are afraid for the cost. The average cost of a full lead abatement of the units that we've already done is less than $6,000. And that's an energy conservation effort as well, because most of the leaded components are the windows. So you have a lead-free or a lead-safe, whatever way you want to determine it, energy-efficient, clean, asthma-trigger-free, healthy home for the families that are living there. Now, I'm sure that this last event um, was budgeted with funds already allocated for the fiscal year, and I assume as you have next year's underway that it has already been budgeted for next year as well? Uh, yes. These, the funding that we utilize for this type of educational outreach comes from the HUD grant that we have. It's, fe- it's federal funds. It's special funds. It's not general funds from the city of New Haven. Oh, so even with the change of political tides, you don't think that at least immediately is going to affect how you're getting things done, including with this annual lead education picnic? True. Again, as I said, this program goes through November of next year. We're going to have another one in June of next year. And God willing, for many years to come until we can say, yes, we've eliminated eliminated lead poisoning within this town. Now, on Sunday, you had told me that the highest number of lead poisoned children in New Haven historically has been from the Hill, Dixwell, New Hallville, and Fairhaven neighborhoods. This was due to not only the older stock of housing that runs throughout the city, but also the higher turnover rate of tenants. What special message in particular about lead poisoning would you want to let people in these neighborhoods know. Thank you. One, have your children tested for the presence of lead poisoning. It's an easy thing the next time you bring your child into the physician, have he or she test your child's blood lead. They're supposed to be doing that anyways, but it's a good thing just to ask, just to recommend. 
too. If you really have a concern about the presence of lead-based paint within your house, call 203-946-8174. Also, if you're a property owner and you wish to access these funds, the same number, 203-946-8174. And Ms. Jennifer San Giorgio will be very happy to help you. Well, thank you very much, Paul Kowalski, the City of New Haven's Environmental Health Program Director. We enjoyed speaking with you about lead poisoning in New Haven and what people can do about it. Thank you, Betsy. To learn more information from the City of New Haven about lead poisoning and what to do about it, you can visit the website newhavenlead.com. And to our listeners, thank you for joining 103.5 FM's Law, Life, and Culture. I'm Betsy Kim. Thank you.